Well, good morning. It is great to see you all here. Um, it was just about uh, a week ago. Well, we were probably having lunch about this time a week ago uh, in uh, Haiti. Uh, but we had just come through uh, worship service with Harvest Jack Mel. And uh, you may remember that uh, we took a group of about 24 people to uh, Jacmel, Haiti and the surrounding area. And uh, we just got back last uh, Monday night, Tuesday morning. And uh, uh, let me just tell you, God is alive and at work in Haiti. Some awesome, cool things. Amen. Going on. Uh, I apologize if I'm sounding a little nasally and uh, otherwise I, I told the, the, the first service group, I, I prayed before we went, you know, the, the chikungunya virus that's been running rampant through the Caribbean and Central America, it's this fever, kind of dengue fever type symptoms and things like that. And so we were a little concerned about that going in, knew we were going to treat a lot of folks that had had that as well. And uh, so just spent some time, you know, just Lord, I, I knew I was praying the next Sunday, so just don't want to get that. And God answered that prayer. I didn't get it. But I did pick up a stomach virus, something there, and I picked up a head cold and everything else. So in a few weeks, I'm going to be preaching on prayer and praying specifically. Because <laughs> clearly I missed it somewhere along the line. But uh, uh, God was good, and, and, and it's good. I, we we uh, put some pictures up for you. I just wanted to just kind of quickly run through... Um, Mentioned a few of this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we had 24 uh, total that went out from uh, Harvest Peoria, and uh, we met up with four other young men, uh, four brothers in Port-au-Prince that we work a lot with, and, and they are all believers and do a lot of translating work uh, for us and, and really just partner with us a lot and have come to be dear friends uh, with many of us. But uh, not only that, we also took about 26 bags of medical supplies and medications. And, and boy, the weeks leading up, we were buying more uh, over-the-counter drugs and, and prescription drugs and all kinds of things that we were bringing down there. And um, you should have seen the looks of all of the guys through customs as we came bag after bag after bag. And God was gracious even in, uh, in us getting through all of that as well. But uh, as was typical for the week, uh, we it takes about four hours to get out of Port-au-Prince uh, and over the mountains into Jacmel, about two hours out of the city, and then you head up into the mountains, and, and it's pretty, uh, pre- pretty rigorous there. And that was the first of our um, stops there to fix something with... Uh, uh, um, one of the vehicles that we were traveling, I think we had about three. We blew several tires. Uh, that was brakes that were having trouble there. And uh, having problems with your brakes as you head up into the mountains, everybody say, bad idea. And so uh, we had a little break. Everyone got out. And uh, believe it or not, the thing about it in Haiti is they can fix anything alongside of a road. It is just amazing. They are used to that. Next slide there, you see a little bit about the clinic. And uh, uh, we, we actually had four days of clinics. We split our group into actually three different teams. We had two medical teams and then a, uh, a work team that was doing some work at the clinic up in uh, the mountains area. So we did a clinic in the school area, a church area in Jacmel. And then uh, Harvest Jacmel, though, uh, has just built... 
this clinic that you see up there. It's a wonderful facility and monies were donated for that. And, and, and this, we were the grand opening of that. Matter of fact, uh, I led the group up there for the first two days. And the first day we still didn't have water. They were still hooking things up and getting things uh, up to full swing of things. And, and so we were uh, just kind of kicking things off uh, as, as we went uh, there. You see some of the people there. That was actually the second day, that picture there. Because the first day it was... Um, about four times those people kind of mobbing the front of the building. It was uh, quite a spectacular event in that. But uh, that's in the area called Cop Rouge. And uh, they, uh, Harvest Jacmel has, has got a lot of future ministry in that place. And they're being very strategic in that. And so it was great that we could partner with them in there. We also had a number of folks from Harvest Jacmel that partnered with us, both medically and otherwise uh, in translating throughout the week. The next picture you see is a little bit about the church. Um, you see, uh, that's the school area, and they're right behind that area on the left uh, is where they actually meet for church. And in case you're wondering what you're looking at right there, that is actually a Haitian conveyor belt. <laughs> Let it settle. <laughs> they take it, concrete, over the head, pass it to the next guy, pass it to the next guy, pass it to the... I saw them doing that for three days solid. And uh, they they sang, they talked, they laughed, they sang some more, and uh, there they're working putting a fourth floor or a third floor up there, uh, where there's going to be some some clinic space for the clinic in Jack Mill as well as uh, more uh, space for the school and church. I uh, see some of the signs around there. On, on the right side, though, you see uh, where they have broken ground and laid foundation for their worship center, and. Uh, uh, they uh, raised money within the church to get some things started. They're about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, and that's the fruit of that as they've laid that foundation. Uh, we were there, saw uh, the two services that they had on Sunday morning, and so it was about eight hundred folks in there. The church is growing. Uh, they had eighteen baptized the week before we got there. They had sixteen baptized a month or so before that. So they've had thirty-four baptized since launch in in April. And so they're seeing people coming to Christ and they're seeing people baptized. And, and it is exciting to see all that, that God's doing in that place. Uh, the last picture you see there is uh, a little bit. That's the team that went there as we were kind of getting ready to head back here to the States. Uh, you see up in the uh, top right-hand corner there, that's uh, pretty much how we traveled around for the week. Um, and actually, that, that, looks, that looks comfortable, doesn't it? I am proud to say that my group actually set the record. We actually got 22 people in a pickup truck for an hour and a half ride down the mountain. And I'll show you the bruises to, that we got for, <laughs> to show for it later. But uh, uh, it's pretty cool to, to, to do things the Haitian way. So uh, uh, a lot of fun. Hey, God's doing some great things. There's a lot of needs, though. A lot of needs. You know, I, I wrote down some words there, some, some descriptive words from the week. Poverty. See it everywhere. Need. Can't look without seeing need. Hurt. Toughness. It's all of people that have a real toughness uh, about life and doing life. Thankfulness. So thankful for every little thing. A contentment in the midst of nothing. Fear. So a lot of fear and moments of fear 
as we're interacting with people. By the way, four days of clinics in two locations um, saw just under 1,300 patients. Saw a lot of people. Got to interact with a lot of people. There's some great needs. But it's not just there. There's needs here as well. We'll find that you see needs wherever you go. And I want to look at a passage where we see just that. And if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, just uh, stick your hand up. Uh, the ushers will be around. Love to get you a Bible. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 3, just want to get you kind of caught up in the context here. Acts chapter 1, Jesus has concluded his ministry. He has died. He has been resurrected. He has been seen by his disciples and many, many more. He's given them a charge now, go and make disciples. And then we see Acts chapter 1 as he says, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And then he ascends into heaven. On the heels of that then, the church there in Jerusalem is waiting for the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to come. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. We see the message that Peter preaches at Pentecost and over 300 are saved at that time. And the church, you talk about church growth. It happened, Acts chapter 2. And then we get to Acts chapter 3 and we start to get into just a normal day. In, in the life here of Peter and John, they're back to their normal routine or whatever has become the new normal at this point. And we see point number one, look, see the need of the people God places around you and follow God's leading. Look, see the needs of the people God places around you and follow God's leading. In your Bibles, uh, look at verse one of chapter three. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and he said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, point number one was the fact that they were looking at what was taking place and they saw this man. It says that Peter and John were walking into the temple. It was about the ninth hour and how they figured that was it started at sunrise, so about 6 a.m. So the ninth hour would put them about 3 p.m. We're talking middle of the afternoon. We're talking what would be in Jerusalem at that time, rush hour. As people are moving, it says, as was the custom, they were going into the temple for prayer. While they had come to Christ, they were still continuing in the Jewish worship and the rituals of that as well. And and so they were going for worship and prayer at 3 o'clock at rush hour in the normal routine that they would go, and it says there was this man that was had been carried to this location. Evidently, this was a regular event for this man. Chapter four, verse twenty-two refers back to this man, and it says that he was uh, he was over forty years old. 
So I can only imagine how many times this man had done this. And it says that they brought him to, it says, the beautiful gate as you go into the temple. And if you know anything about the Temple Mound area, the outer part of the Temple Mound was the was the area for the Gentiles. And, and everyone would come and go and anyone could just kind of meander around in that area. But as you started to go into the temple area where only the Jews could go, we had the, the, the next court that you would go through was the women's court and then into the inner part that only the men could go. And, and that eastern gate, that main entrance as you go into that section there of the women's court was the beautiful gate. And so I'm sure it was very strategic that they placed this man, this lame man that says he was lame from birth. So over 40 years, the man had never walked, never been able to move around, was always dependent on other people. And, and he was, would put his spot and, and I, it also kind of leads you to believe they were bringing him later in the afternoon for that spot. And I'm wondering if, if that was not just the strategic time so he could catch the rush hour as there would be lots of people going into this area so that he could ask for money. I'm sure this is how he made his living was by begging for money. So what he was asking for was money so that he could live on. Because he probably wasn't doing any other work or able to do any other work. And so that's the man that, and there he is. And so as Peter and John come by, and I'm sure that they were busy, I'm sure that they were in a hurry and had a whole lot of things that they were going to do after they said their prayers in the temple and, and spent this time in worship, just like so many of us have regularly. And they come along and this guy says, hey, please, can I have some money? It's interesting because while they were probably used to this, and and, and mind you, you need to understand, I am almost certain that this was not the only beggar in that area. This area actually would have been filled with many, many people begging for money. This would have been a, a customary thing that was going on. And as I was reading through this, I, I was I just a couple of questions that I asked. First was, why this guy? Because it says this guy asked for money, but he must have gone immediately to fix his attention on somebody else. The next person coming along to ask for money. Please, can I have some money? Please, can I have some money? Please, can I have some money? Because it says Peter and John stopped. Peter turned to turns to him and says, hey, look at me. Hey, look. It says in John stop. And so they fix this. And the guy turns back to them. So he'd already... Fixed his attention on somebody else. He turns back to them expecting to receive something. Great. Finally, someone's going to give me some money. So what was it? Why this guy? I'm not sure exactly the situation there, but clearly God had something that he was doing through this. And we're going to see what God had in store for this fella. But the other question I want you to just to ask. As we're kind of reading through the rest of this story is. So what was the man's need? What was his need? He was asking for money. He wanted some food I'm sure. But what was his need? You know, we, we, we come across a lot of different needs. 
There's a lot of, uh, of opportunities to meet needs. And, and so many times we, we get uh, many, many requests for that. And, and, and you need many times to kind of have some criteria. Well, there is some things. When, when we're at harvest, the elders, did, did you know that there is actually kind of a, a filter that we, that we run through? Is, so, so what needs do we meet? When do we start a new ministry and what do we do in starting new ministries and that? And, and there's kind of four different things that, that, that the elders and, and, and staff kind of work through anytime we're starting a new ministry. Number one is, is there a need? A lot of times we have a lot of great ideas. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we started this ministry or that ministry? But there may or may not be actually a need in that area at this time. And so is there a need? Secondly, is there leadership? Is there someone or someones here ready to step in and able to take the lead in this ministry? The third thing is, is does it fit within the vision of the church? Does it fit within? Hey, there are a lot of great things that a lot of great people in ministries are doing. Absolutely wonderful things. But God has placed this church right here to make complete disciples. You may have heard four W's. That's what we're about. Making complete disciples. Your worship, your walk, your work, and your witness. And so does it fit within the vision and direction of why God has placed us here? And then fourthly, are there resources then to meet that need? Just kind of how we process things here at Harvest. I know many of you uh, will, will send, uh, uh, as you come across some ideas or, or ministries and and uh, opportunities to get involved. And I appreciate that. Continue to do that. Uh, but just so you know, uh, there's some intentionality. And I'm sure in this case with Peter and John, there was a great intentionality as to what was about to take place. When uh, we were there a week ago, uh, um, I was counting up when I was down there. I've actually been uh, in Haiti now over the last 18 months. I've been... Uh, there uh, five different times I've been a total of 39 days in, in Haiti over the last 18 months. But something really big happened this week. This week, they let me drive in Haiti. And so they were looking around, they had a truck there, and, and so different teams, and they had drivers for different ones, and Abraham says, well, we got the truck here, and I guess I can find a driver. And I'm looking there, and he says... Uh, do you know how to drive a stick? I do. <laughs> and so, do you want to drive? Oh boy, do I. And so he hands me the keys. And so I was driving the team back and forth, much to the chagrin of some of the people on the trip. I had uh, Teresa's back there hiding her face because she sat behind me just to check everything that I did to make sure it was okay. And driving in Hayes is a little different than driving in Peoria. I'm just going to tell you that. You get to use your horn a whole lot more. And that's really cool. Well, about Wednesday, we'd spent a couple of days up in the mountains, and, and my group was down in Jacmel. And Wednesday, I'd been out running errands and pe- buying some more medication and some things, and, and came back, and there was a fella that was sitting in the courtyard. It was an older gentleman. And uh, I, I, I remember, I, I, I saw him. I, I, it was kind of unusual because we had different processes and places that people went, and he was kind of, kind of out in the open, not in the normal waiting area where people were at. 
And uh, notice they were they were keeping an eye on him, and they were, came, kept coming back and were checking his blood pressure, and the like. And and um, I, I heard someone say something about, "Hey, does this guy have a ride home? Hey, is there anybody who can give this guy a ride home?" Someone said that he'd ridden a, a motorcycle taxi here, and uh, kind of was doing some stuff. Went back and forth. And said, "Well, I mean, okay, we we can we can give him a ride home. I got the truck right there." And so I went over and pulled the truck and backed it up and pulled it up in there. And this man, evidently, they, they had him waiting there and the doctors were kind of working with him. He had very, very alarmingly high blood pressure. And so they'd give him some medication. They were allowing that medication some time to work and come back and checking his blood pressure and doing some things there. They'd give him some other things for the pain. But as I saw this man and he starts to stand up, his feet were were just so swollen like maybe twice the size of, of of what would be normal and he had a stick that he would use kind of a walking stick type of a thing and then on the other hand they grabbed and he had a piece of rebarb that just came up with kind of an l and he would kind of stand and as he stood up i noticed his his right leg it was just so distorted I, 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 the first thing I saw him, I thought, there's no way in the world he can actually stand and put weight on that and actually hold his weight and not give way. And he very feebly gets up. and I mean, it probably took us five minutes to get this man into the back seat of the truck. And, and so we, we kind of head out from the, the church uh, school area there and kind of went back into a... Um, a rougher area of Jock Mel, and of course they had a translator with me because I didn't know where I was going, and, and they turn here, turn here, turn here type of a thing, and we're, I mean, it's just all just dirt roads, and, and we, we stop in front of his house, and he, and he had a young man that was with him, uh, I don't know if it was a relative of some sort or, or so, but they start to get this guy out, and his house was, um, it was just a, just kind of a block structure, there was no door in the doorway, there was no windows in the window frames. I'm sure there was some things inside, but you couldn't, it looked like it was an abandoned place. And, and I, I saw this guy get out of the car and we're trying to help him. It, and he's, it, it's a combination of a walk and a crawl as he just slowly moves up into there and we kind of get him, and you're at this moment where, well, now what? Do we just leave? And I was just struck with the fact that, I mean, he had some medication and his blood pressure was down for the moment. And there was nothing else really could do for the man. Only thing we did was just show him some love, give him some comfort in the moment. Now, the great thing about it is Harvest Jack Mel, they are, they, they got names and phone numbers and they, they're following up with many of these patients. And so my prayer is that they will, he was in the vicinity of the church as well. And so there, there actually may be some follow up there. But there's, there's needs around us. And sometimes just small acts of love may mean a lot in the moment. What about you? What's going on in your life where you're just going along through life much like me? Man, I'm a list taker and I got so many things planned out for the day and I'm going through and I'm checking it off and just don't, 
Don't get, slow me down. Don't get in my way because we got things going and there's so many people and so many needs around us. Where God might be prompting us to say, stop. Hey, look at me. What's going on? How can we come alongside and meet that need? Number two. Give. Glorify God by sharing resources God has entrusted to you as a manager. Give. Glorify God by sharing the resources that God has entrusted to you as a manager. So we pick up in verse 6 and it says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people that saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So Peter stops and and says those very profound words that every parent in this place has said many of times to their children. Silver and gold I do not have. They were penniless. They didn't have anything. No money. They were going through and whatever. Either they just didn't have it or they didn't have it with them. But they didn't have any money to give to this guy. But they said, but what we do have, we give to you. And then we see this miraculous event of the healing that takes place. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. Who healed the man? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Who healed the man? Yeah, Jesus heals. Say that with me. Jesus heals. Absolutely, Jesus heals. And we're seeing here in a lot of the, uh, right after the ascension, we see the apostles and many with the gift of healing at this time and where the word of God was not present yet. And these were wonderful signs that were showing the validity of what was taking place. But even in the midst of that, it wasn't Peter that healed the man. It wasn't John that healed the man. Jesus healed the man. Jesus heals. It was in the name of Jesus that he was healed. Let me tell you what, folks, Jesus still heals. Sometimes Jesus heals in some, some unbelievable physical ways. Sometimes Jesus heals in some emotional things that are going on in life. And we see Jesus also is dying to come alongside, literally died, so that he can heal us spiritually. So that we can be restored and have a right relationship with God the Father. He's a reconciling God. Jesus heals. We see this example. We see an amazing thing as he says, stand up. And he reaches down, helps the guy up. And it says the guy jumps up. The man who for 40 years has had to crawl across the ground and have people moving from spot to spot who had never walked before, leaps to his feet. It says he stood, he walked, and he starts heading into the temple with them, praising who? 
<laughs> he wasn't praising Peter. He wasn't praising John. He's praising God. Look what God is doing. And so we see the man who never walked before, who starts skipping in there and I'm sure doing one of those. This guy was fired up and everybody's looking around. And they say, this man, wait a minute. This is the guy who day after day was right there in that spot outside the beautiful gate. Remember him? We've seen him every day. What in the world has happened? Peter and John, we don't have money to give you, but what we do have, Jesus Christ, that we're more than willing to give. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the man's need? Well, he was asking for money. A thought came into my mind as I was kind of mulling over this a week ago. What if Peter and John had seen the guy and they reached into their pocket and they pulled out a couple of gold coins and dropped it into the cup? Would have been a nice thing to do, wouldn't it have? I mean, if they had had money (laughs) with them, on them. They would have walked away and probably felt pretty good for helping the man. The man would have felt pretty good in the moment because, hey, that's going to help to pay for his next meal. But they would have missed out on something great that God had in store. Right? Because that wasn't his real need. It was a need. I don't want to discount the physical needs that, that, that we have, that people have. It was a need. He needed a meal. But God had something even bigger in store. You know, we, we need to balance many times just coming alongside and meeting life's necessities and balance that with coming alongside to meet people's real needs. They need Jesus. At the end of the day, they need Jesus. We spent a week in Haiti seeing 1,300, 1,291 people, best count that, that we've got. And we passed out a lot of medication, a lot of supplies, and they got some, some help. Some of them, I don't know that they've ever been to a doctor before up in the one region they were at. We brought some, some comfort in the moment, and, and that's a wonderful thing. We were able to love on them. And every chance that we got when they asked, why, why do we do this? It's because of Jesus Christ. Because He loves us. But the goal in all of this is not just to meet the physical need, but it's to be able to share Jesus Christ. What opportunities might you have to give of the resources that God has entrusted to you. What is it that you've got going on this week and the folks that you will, the paths that you will cross this week? How do we go about that? So, so what, what does it look like showing love to people? Here's five ways to show love. Five very practical ways to show love. <clears throat> Number one. Everybody look up at me. 
I know, I told you to write down. Everybody looking at me? Number one. Try it again. Some of you missed it in the back. Smile. Be polite. It's amazing how just a smile can be a loving thing. How just a smile can set people at ease. My job during the week is I, I stood by the front door uh, early in the week as there was a little bit of mob action going on the first day there that uh, fortunately we had a security guard that was kind of helping there and there was like 150 people and one security guard that was keeping them at bay at the moment and then I stood behind him. And I'm not sure what I was going to do if they came through that security guard because I wasn't going to do much, that was for sure. And so I was kind of helping people moving from place to place and doing some of that and just kind of the, the, the kind of just making sure everything was flowing well. And several times though, you'd have a, a, a lady or some children come by and they look up at me and I continue, I just had to constantly remind myself, smile. It is amazing how going through and just, and you would see their whole countenance change. Come along, smile, a wink, and a fist bump goes so, such a long ways. Number two, take time. Take time. Be vulnerable. Share. Make it a priority. Peter and John had many things that they had going on that day, I am sure. And they stopped. And they gave the guy the attention and said, hey. Look at us. We got something to say here. Just taking the time. Following God's promptings throughout the day. Number three is listen. Listen. Giving them your attention. Asking questions. Be be a person who learns to ask great questions. One of the fellows on our team this past week... um, who actually is, wasn't able to be here uh, today. Uh, they're actually preparing. They've got a week of comeback kids camp that they helped to run. Uh, Steve and Ann Wiegand. And Steve Wiegand went on the trip. And Steve Wiegand um, has less medical skills than I do. You could say he has none. And that's okay because Steve Wiegand didn't do anything with the medical teams the whole week. Steve... Um, earned the nickname that many on the team we started calling him the wanderer if you know if you know steve you this makes perfect sense because uh, all he did was as everybody's kind of doing their stuff steve just kind of wandered around all week and every time though you saw steve he was talking to somebody and he would just kind of meander around. He'd sit down. They'd be sitting in the waiting area. And he'd sit right down in between them. I don't, he doesn't speak Creole. And he doesn't speak French. But somehow he was able to communicate. And they're talking up a storm. And he's going back and forth. The next thing you see Steve. And he's got two or three people over here. And he's just talking with people. Listening to them. Encouraging them. Probably did more ministry than any of us the whole week. Listen. Take the time. Smile. Number four, lend a hand. Number four, lend a hand. Sometimes to just roll up your sleeves and say, hey, do you need help with this? 
and taking it might be a moment. It might be an afternoon. I know we got a lot of folks doing some ministry and some things just coming alongside some impact groups that are doing some things. We're just coming alongside some, some folks who need some stuff who need some repairs around the house and doing some of those. You're going to hear more about some ministry opportunities in those areas here coming in the next few months, but, but just lending a, a hand doing those acts of service. And then number five, point them to Christ. You want to really love people? Point them to Christ. If they do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you may have an opportunity, sometimes even over time as you build relationship in with them, but you may have an opportunity to actually share the gospel with them. But whether you can go through the whole gospel or not, everything that we want to do, we want to be pointing them to Christ. Maybe they are a believer in Christ. And then we can come alongside and we can encourage them and we can still continue to point them to Christ because we all need Jesus every day, every moment in our lives. Five ways to love people. Ultimately, point them to Christ. So let me ask you, who may God be placing in your mind right now that you need to stop and take the time and reach out And love them, maybe in some very practical ways, and maybe just to share Christ with them. You got somebody? Number three, proclaim. Take opportunities to share Christ knowing He is their real need. Proclaim. Take opportunities to share Christ, knowing that He is their real need. We're going to move quickly through this section because Peter, seeing this crowd, like any good preacher, decides this is a great time to share a message. Let me tell you about what's really going on here. Verse 11, it says, While he clung to Peter and John, talking about the man who was just healed, all all the people, utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you want wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom Jesus raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Jesus would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He says, you may be wondering what is going on, what has just taken place, and he is quick to say, Jesus has healed this man. Jesus, you remember, Jesus, the one who did all of those other healings for three years, miracle after miracle, and you saw it, you heard about it. It's the same Jesus that then you brought before Pilate and had crucified. Yet he rose again. That Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, he's the one who did this healing. 
And then Peter gets to the big idea of his message. Here you go. Here's the application. Verse 19. Repent, therefore. Turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all the things of which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Because of everything that you just saw, the healing of this man and everything Peter says that I just got done recounting and refreshing your memory because of all of that, therefore, repent. His message was repentance. What does it mean to repent? Repentance literally means changing direction and changing my mind. There's a, there's a physical element and there's a mental element that takes place. It says, I was going in this direction. I was doing it my way, going after the things that I want. And now I'm changing direction. I'm deciding I'm going to follow Christ. You see, it's when we say, okay, you've got all of me, Jesus. I'm changing my mind and I'm changing my direction and sometimes some very physical, practical things. And he says, when there's repentance, he gives three benefits of repentance. He says, first of all, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. It says that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, some, some of your Bibles say, uh, translations say that your sins may be wiped away. There's, there, there's, there's forgiveness. It says there's also that there may be times of refreshment that are coming and, and probably kind of theologians go back and forth whether this was the here and now or, or actually uh, talking about the millennial kingdom that, that is to come. And then ultimately though the hope that Christ is coming to restore all things. There's a future hope as well. There's forgiveness of sins. There's times of refreshment. And there's a future When Christ will reign and restore all things. Do you want forgiveness? We all have that problem of sin, don't we? We all have a sin problem. Forgiveness, this passage makes it very clear. Forgiveness only comes through repentance. Did you hear it? The only way to know forgiveness... Is through, is through repentance. Sometimes we struggle with that. We all want to be forgiven, but we may not be willing right now to give up whatever it is and change directions and say, I'm going after you now, Jesus. You've got all of me. Repentance is essential to forgiveness. There's a story that's told about two camels and they're standing underneath the shade of a tree and it's a mother camel and, and her son. Okay, it's not a true story, okay, because the camels talk. The mother and son camel are underneath the tree and, and the, the son looks up at the mother and says, Mom, why do we have this split hooves and why, why do we have... Kind of three sections to our hooves here. Looking around at other animals that had paws and other things. And she says, well, son, 
Because the, the split hooves that we have, the, the, the three split hoof, the way it is, it allows us that when we're walking through the desert, it, it, it spreads out our weight. It gives us traction as we're going through the sand and the unstable uh, desert uh, sandy conditions. It gives us good balance, good stability. He says, Mom, why do we have such long eyelashes? She says, well, we have these long eyelashes because the sand blows so much in the desert and and, and the eyelashes help to filter out the sand so that we can see in the midst of some of these sandstorms and all that's going on. He says, Mom, why do we have that big hump on our back? Contrary to popular opinion, the hump does not store water. She says, well, actually, the hump is actually stored fat so that when we're, we're in the desert, And long times without water and food, we can go a long time and the body can pull that fat that's in that hump. The hump will actually get smaller and larger and uh, and get smaller and we can live off of that, those nutrients in the fat in the hump. Son kind of shakes his head a little bit. That's kind of cool. Thinks for a moment, then he looks up at his mother and says, Mom, then why are we in the zoo? Good question. How many of us are... God's given us a whole lot. God's got a purpose. Wants us to be involved in seeing the need in people. But we're just kind of off to the side in the zoo, in the shade. Maybe you're like... The people in the crowd, they were amazed, they were astonished. Look at what Jesus did. You've been coming in and you've been seeing some pretty cool things happening around here. You're seeing some, it just seems like God's at work in this place and, and, and we're seeing some changed lives and people and but yet you're still part of the crowd. Just kind of a spectator. It may be time to stand up and say, okay, Lord, you've got me now. It's time for me to get in the game. Maybe you're like Peter and John and you've got a lot of things planned for the day and you're just going along cruising through there and there's some needs that are around you that God may be saying, you know what? You may want to stop here. I got, I got something I want to do in this. What was the man's need? The man's need, as all of our needs is, he needed Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is all that we need. Money was nice. Food was good. Healing was wonderful. But ultimately, the man and everybody else in that place, just like all the rest of us, need Jesus. So let me ask you. Whom may God be placing in your path this week to share Jesus? Maybe in some practical ways. Maybe in just sitting down and saying, Let me tell you about my friend. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And he can do it for you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, for for just the unbelievable hope that we have because of you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. And Lord, you've got us all placed in different places. 
We're running different, uh, different schedules each day of the week. But you've got us there for a, a reason and you've got people that you bring across our paths. Lord, may we first know and understand, have relationship with you. Lord, may we know what it means to be forgiven because there's repentance. And anyone here who doesn't know that, Lord, I pray that before they leave this place, they would turn to you. Lord, for those that have, for each of us here, Lord, may we just be looking for the needs that you place around us, following your lead and prompting, coming alongside, meeting those needs, and continuing to point people to you. In your name.